Hello and welcome to Romance Read Along. I'm Tony and today we're reading The Alien's Mail Order Bride by Ruby Dixon. Please join us for our discussion of Ruby Dixon's The Alien's Mail Order Bride. And now, on to the show. The Alien's Mail Order Bride. Though still carrying the scars of his past, an intergalactic soldier, Enver doesn't mind the quiet of his chosen life as a farmer. He doesn't even mind that most nights are lonely on remote Casa. But he does need help around his farm. A mail-order bride from his homeworld seems like the perfect solution. She'll be a tall, sturdy female to help with chores and bear his children. Unfortunately, the person that arrives is Nicola. She's small, delicate, and human. She also knows nothing about farming. And she's lied and deceived her way across the galaxy to get to Casa, so she can hide from those that would capture her. She's a problem. And she's also the most enticing thing he's ever seen. Now, Ember has to decide. Can he keep the woman who's nothing like what he asked for, but everything he needs? A standalone, risk-averse novel. I might have read it twice or like one and a half times. The first time as a just a straight read-through, and then the second time kind of dissecting some of the the plot points and things along those lines that like I found inconsistencies with and then some of the things I actually enjoyed from the book that I thought the author did right. Yeah. One of the things that is constantly um, tantalizing me about this author is the, this, uh, Ruby Dixon is a pen name. He keeps it a secret what her like real person name is because allegedly she's a New York Times bestselling author in a completely different genre. So, like, she doesn't want her weird alien smut to, like, contaminate her legitimate job. Man, I could see that. The The thing I find interesting is I wonder how large of a an industry as a whole uh, this is because kind of going through it and looking at it and comparing it to even some of the, the stuff that I read, like, I, I would say that I'm not, like, some you know snob when it comes to books or anything like that like i read everything and in between and then from reading this one thing that i noticed was the world building the world building wasn't really there as much it was kind of just throwing you into the moment of the situation uh that i thought she did well you know not necessarily going too deep into anything along the lines of the the human's background or imivores is that how you pronounce his name that's usually how I pronounce it, Ember. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Or, or, or not really going into his background. Uh, just giving you just enough to justify why they are the way that they are. Yeah, that's one thing about um, romance done well is it's all it's more about the feelings, less about like the the details of like the environment. Right. I've read a lot of like epic fantasy you know, Wheel of Time and 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 the like. Um, what was the other one I read uh, that went on forever? Malazan, Book of the Fallen. Like, a million words. And, and it's like, this is a 14-book series. People are dying every 15 pages. And you spend way too much time, like, describing how disgusting it is to be a soldier marching through the desert. Right, like, make me feel more bad about all the dead people, right, and less just generally bored by all the minutia of, you know, how heavy this is and how long it takes for you to run out of water, you know, how heavy the water is. Just like, I'm bored. Yeah, that's interesting because. Like for me on the other end, or I, I think even I, I could even go as far as to say for most males, uh, it, it's kind of a, 
like that's where we would necessarily find the enjoyment in it because it's the the more of a logical path you know towards the conclusion and then one thing i was always kind of curious with with romance novels is understanding that since their general audience is female you know or even female leaning in terms of how they feel what it does is it it really does play on the emotion of the time and of the things and then we'll we'll definitely talk about this as we get into it and i found that's where the male character is more of an ideal of well not even necessarily an ideal because he had tons of faults i would say more of a the male character is more created versus like being an actual male like whether it be alien or whether it be you know a, another human or whatever it may be it's just that person you know it, it's like the the values that he possesses like those are very you know outwardly masculine and male but him like he's a he's a he wouldn't be able to exist kind of in a way it's almost like watching beauty and the beast and how this character was beast and she was kind of bell and that's kind of the relationship that they had and, and had everything going on or at least that's where i related it to I understand you mentioned uh, seeing it as like a modern day or a sci-fi Western. I think, I think that's one of the reasons why alien romance novels are so popular right now, because it's easier to believe that like an alien man could possess those kind of qualities than an actual human person. Right. And I, and I don't know how to describe it because, like, I'm not, I'm not a misandrist. Most of my friends are men. Like, I enjoy, like, dude's company and the male perspective and just, you know, like, how they think. But, like you say, they generally don't. And I, and I have, you know, like, shared books and with guys before. And, it, and where they... Um, it's generally they enjoy the books that have I don't know the elements of the books they enjoy are not the are not what I'm there for, right? Correct. And like I think that that's that's based on the difference uh, of the two genders, and I actually really are two sexes. However, um, you know you prefer to process that information. I completely agree with you, and I understand the uh, and also by the way, you're one of maybe two women I've ever met in my life that even know what misandry is, let alone use it. So <laughs> that is really awesome to begin with. I, I wanted to like start applauding you. <laughs> so yeah. Well, one thing from reading a lot of books, you learn a lot of words. Agreed. You know, and I, you know, but um, yeah, I, I think of this as a Western, maybe not in the classical sense of like, movie westerns but a lot of romance novel westerns sort of have um a male protagonist who is survived some shit usually but not always a war right and he's out in the farm on the ranch sort of alone trying to do it himself you know and he's lonely and or sad although he definitely would resist characterizing it that way. And for some reason, you know, he needs somebody on the ranch um, and he signs up for a mail-order ride, right? Not always, but, you know, sometimes it's like a lady in distress stumbles upon his path or whatever, but this is a mail-order ride story, so... He signs up for a mail-order ride, and she shows up, and, you know, being signing up to be a mail-order bride is kind of like being a foster kid. Nobody gets in that situation without something being seriously messed up in their life, right? Whether it's something, as, you know, simple as no parents, you know, because they're dead, or, you know, no parents because the war. Right, and now she's got no money. And, you know, if it's a historical, maybe you just send yourself out there. Or, you know, on the run from somebody or pregnant, either, you know, through something you did on purpose or something that was done to you. 
And so that's sort of like the typical Western where, you know, she's got a problem that's forced her to sort of take drastic action and go out West. And he's sort of sad and lonely out West and like has, has recognized on some level that he doesn't have the social skills to convince somebody to marry him and, and just going to like make it a transaction, you know? And, and that's usually where it starts. And then they sort of grow together, you know, to realize that they're like, they could get more out of this than they initially signed up for. That I can see. I, I would even say that in a way she, you know, did kind of even stumble upon him because the, the route in which she took to get there, it wasn't necessarily because she's like, oh, I, I want to come become a bell order bride for a better life. She was looking and hoping for freedom. She was looking, hopingly, she hope, hopefully uh, she were to actually find a, and, and, you know, I use this term lightly, uh, not because I express it or, or feel it lightly, but because I understand there's all kinds of reactions that people have in the world from words. And when it comes to like what an actual man is like that traditional male, especially in American culture, uh, that's what she was hoping to run into. And, and that's kind of what the character to me personified is he did personify the traditional male ideas and values, especially when it comes to living and being on your own, how, uh, in the world, a man can survive on their own. It just doesn't mean that they'll thrive. And in a world, a woman does actually need support from a second person in order to survive. The one thing is she can actually help someone else thrive by having that and forming that bond and relationship. And a man can't necessarily see that. I can speak for myself. Uh, I've never been involved in any wars or anything like that. And I would say that traditionally, I'm, I'm not an unattractive male. But one thing that I found for myself was I did want to do the farm. I did want to do the living alone. I did not want to have a family initially. And, and my wife actually kind of stumbled upon me and I stumbled upon her. And then we ended up clicking and then having a relationship and going forth. But I do think that those values hold true in this book. And I'd love to, to, to get started because like, as we're talking here, I'm looking at my notes. I'm like, oh, hopefully I'm not showing my hand too much. Wondering if they were referring to mechs in terms of, you know, like people or like sentient beings inside of an exosuit or if it was actually just a mechanized system, even just a standard machine, whether it be built for war or built for anything else. I would have honestly appreciated a little bit more background on the war and what it was and what it was over. Um, although I do understand it's not very necessary, especially in the building of the story, uh, because the character was was pretty much already built. I did find him as someone that I personally could relate to a lot, especially when he was relating to wanting to be alone and then realizing that he wanted an extra pair of hands. And as he would like to put it, you know, for for want of a better term, a nice warm cunt to fuck, as he would say. And... To me, I was like, well, at least the sex would be something that I would find hard to just let go of and not do. I mean, I would at least go into town and hook up with someone, I would figure. But that, but I do believe that that added to his um, intensity for her. And seeing yeah. her, you know, even though she's another species, but just seeing the curvatures of her body, you know, it, it just, it was something that drew him towards. And that is an extremely male, masculine way of looking at the world. You know, men don't typically care about a woman's money, at least not a, not a good man. A good man doesn't really care about a woman's money. What a good man cares about is an attractive woman that gets a literal rise out of him. And someone who's feminine. Like, I mean, she embodied all of the traditional roles. You know, she cooked, she cleaned. Well, he went out and did, though, for want of a better term, heavy lifting. And that's the way, I mean, right. I personally approach the world. Well, that's, that's the thing about um, romance novels. Like, there's something for everyone. I picked this, I picked this particular one because it was real short. And it was able to be real short because it was, in, it was written in a pre-established world. 
like it's part of the Rizdaverse series. So, you know, some of the characters in the longer books are also veterans of the same war. Although, to be honest, um, the war isn't important beyond the fact that the Masaka lost and that they have, um, they have a lot of people with uh, disabilities as a result, you know, and that it's a good point that uh, Nicola was very sort of traditional and Emperor was also very sort of traditional. Not all, not all the characters in this particular um, universe are written that way. And certainly not all the characters in, in uh, romance novels are written that way, you know, but it is true, especially in the, in the Western style of romance novel, especially if it's written with sort of a historical element that female characters very literally can't take care of themselves because they're not given the opportunity. You know, sometimes they might not even be legally allowed to be their own people, right? And that puts them in a position where they have to take risks to sort of place their their life and safety in the hands of one of the male characters, right? Who may or may not want her there. Correct. And I mean, now understanding that this is a, a part of an entire universe, I'm definitely more interested in, in kind of remaining in the universe to get a little bit more um, detail. Uh, one thing I will say is I do like the fact that they coupled the two correct personalities, because I understand that not every man or, or male is going to be, you know, that traditional uh, pull yourself up from your bootstraps. I'll go out and hunt. You just take care of the home especially in today's society when it comes to just being able to afford, you know, to live. A lot of households have to have two incomes, so that places the wife out in the work world as well. Uh, one thing that, that I do find interesting about this is her personality lined up with his. If she was a different person, she would have had to lie or pretend to be someone else versus just being able to be who she was authentically, and he was allowed to be who he was authentically without having to form and be any other type of way, especially given how they meet where it's under false pretense. The fact that she still remained herself versus trying to form a way to fit him so that he would not report her or turn her in, I thought that that made them line up very well. The fact that I think he would have picked up on any kind of BS from her and immediately, and the fact that she was, even when she initially was there, did feel some form of safety from him. Because when she got in the buggy, he wasn't groping her. I Just little things that they did not mention that as a man I kind of go into. The fact that this man technically owns her now and not doing the things that a quote-unquote owner could do to another piece of property. The fact that he did have that much, I, I would say masculinity, but he was that much of a man to basically wait. And he was even willing to wait until she felt comfortable to even share the marital bed, even though he had not been with a woman for so long. And I think those are things, those are values that I can read in this book, regardless of how long or how short or how graphic or how non-graphic it is. I can read that and say, those are some ideas that I think women find attractive. I think women find that traditional aspect of the man attractive, but the man doesn't necessarily have to take that power and then kind of lord it over or hold it over the woman versus they share the power because it's a balance you know the fact that she kept the home cleaner she actually cooked him food that wasn't processed you know i related that to the world today if a woman has to go out and work or if a man isn't holding up his end of the bargain that woman doesn't have time to cook you know something from scratch and good she has to go pick it up from a mcdonald's or something like that and that's that process ready to serve food versus something that's fresh and will actually nourish him allowing him to work harder and perform better out in the world to slay that proverbial dragon. So that aspect of the book, I thoroughly enjoyed because I do think that those traditional values are kind of getting mixed or missed in today's world, especially when it applies to, you know, what masculinity is versus what masculinity isn't. And, you know, the, the amount of exertion or force that doesn't necessarily have to be there. Because in my opinion, a, a traditionally masculine man, man 
especially the way that this character is written. That traditionally masculine man is the same person when everyone's looking, when everyone's not looking. That's just the person that even if they might be gruff, you know he'd go help his neighbor if his neighbor needed it. You know, he he's still there for that aspect of society. And I do love that part of the book. I do love that part of the way it was written versus making him some, you know, loner. And then when she gets there, he's yelling at her, cursing at her, a la Beauty and the Beast, and creating a, a more abusive relationship versus a relationship that actually just formed from these two people who met, you know, after excuse me meeting under false pretenses but still both having the the need to have a partner her for survival and not to be enslaved him also being able to relate to that now that i understand that about the world and then also him having you know just a life mate which is something he didn't know he needed but he never right yeah you know a lot of the part of it i don't get me wrong i really enjoyed that he didn't hold the deception against her very long. But a large part of why he's so sort of... I'm not saying I've never read any books where he's respectful and a decent human being right away. But Ember has to be a decent human being right away because she doesn't have enough pages for the audience to forgive him from be, for being awful, right? If this was um, a 350-page book, right, the chances of Enver starting out as a jerk for like a good 100 pages of the book before he realizes that she's improved his life you know, and there being a significant portion of the book where she's, you know, feeling the anxiety of, oh, my God, what's going to happen to me? If this asshole kicks me out, what am I going to do? You know, and, you know, there being sort of more conflict and angst and both of them being more in their own feelings about the whole situation. Um, she doesn't have the pages for that. You know, at 68 pages, she's got to have them meet, get over their initial mis miscommunication, shall we say, and then start to bond, you know, over, over how they can sort of improve each other. I think uh, part of what helped the situation is that, you know, because Nicola was kidnapped at like 12, she still has very childlike, maybe naive ideas about, you know, like what, what she should expect from other people in life, you know? Like Lalandra, the, the lady who kept her as a pet, if you, you know, if she had been abducted, older, she would not have seen the way this woman treated her in, as, as a kindness. Now, it definitely was a kindness compared to, like, how the older ladies who were abducted have been treated. You know, some, some of the other books in this series, what the characters have gone through have been particularly upsetting and horrific. But, and, and so, again... You know, Nicola got off kind of easy, and that's necessary by the limited number of pages, you know. But I, I think her being in the sort of, like, idealistic, childlike state of mind sort of helps, you know. She's like, okay, he says he'll find me another husband. I can make it work with another husband. You know, I'll just be as good of a guest as I can while I'm here and living in the moment, doing her best, you know, sort of every step. Like, she doesn't try and convince him at all, you know. She asks if she can stay, and then he's like, no. And he comes to the decision that he wants her around 
completely on his own, right? She does not try at all to convince him, like, we, you know, especially when she figures out that she, he's not using robots. Because they do. They use a single woman on RISDA, which is, um, it's like where they put the refugees that have been rescued from this kidnapping scheme. A single woman on RISDA, which is a farming planet like CASA, can run a farm by herself because it's completely mechanized. So all they have to do is keep an eye on the robot. You know? I see. Um, but because Ember's injury in the war was basically friendly fire caused by a malfunctioning robot. Oh. You know, one thing that I find interesting with you bringing up that point in terms of her youth, that does strike me as interesting because being 12 when she was originally abducted and before being old enough to necessarily be sold into like a pleasure house, uh, I believe was the word that they used or the term that they used. I did notice that she was very naive and trusting openly to the outside, but I believe she understood what was actually going on. Like how she mentioned how Lalandra was able to actually provide her with safety in terms of being a pet versus, you know, just an object and how she understood that she never looked at her as an actual, you know, sentient being or a person was the word that she used. And with seeing that, I was like, okay, she presents a lot more naive and childlike than she actually is because of the fact that she's completely aware of the world surrounding her and the trouble and the situation that she's in. It's just, she does not allow that world to change who she is. And I think that that shows a lot of strength on her end. And then even just the ability to, to stand firm with, with being an object or a thing in this world and in that universe. And on this remote desolate farm, this man could have decided to grab her, do what he well, what he felt with her. And then he could have like literally loaned her out to his neighbors if he felt like it. And there would have been nothing. There would have been no recourse on her end in order to kind of get over that. So the fact that it seemed like she understood that and accepted that, you know, risk and was still willing to push through and be herself. I, man, like to me that, that is the, the strength that is within a woman, you know, that as a man, I find extremely attractive because she remained very feminine in that regard without having to jump and become like this hyper-masculine woman like you kind of see today. There are definitely characters in the, in the Ristiverse that they, they show all sides of the reaction to the trauma they've been through from, from uh, Nicola and this one character, B, whose sort of response is to just be unfailingly accepting and sort of happy, right? It's like, you don't want to hurt me. You like me. Aren't I so nice and friendly and happy? And look at these cookies I brought you, right? To, to the sort of characters, you know, that react to their trauma by basically building pit traps and, you know, rationing their water and, you know, building clubs with, you know, nails in them, right? Because, you know, everybody's experienced different levels of trauma and their different personalities sort of cause them to react to their trauma differently. But I can see what you're saying. It is definitely possible that um, Nicole is not quite as unaware of of how she's perceived as you would as you think sometimes. Yeah, there's definitely that's how she chooses to kind of express her strength is from what I saw. And I understand how how people process things differently 
and that trauma is not really a, a greater or a lesser, you know, to the person that's actually experiencing it. Um, I know for myself, like I grew up in a relatively rough neighborhood and it would have been quite easy for me to just kind of get caught up in the trap of it and then become like everyone that was around me who, you know, for want of a better term, were not taking what America allotted for them and pushing it as far as they could versus just settling and allowing, you know, the the surrounding area to kind of just envelop them. And that's kind of a thing I saw from both characters in this. Ember, the fact that he was damaged in a war, you know, now knowing that his side lost and that they're kind of just dealing with the fact that they were the losing side of things. And then seeing that he was still able to kind of come full circle and exist as a complete person and then basically accepting the fact that, oh, I, I can't get a mate because I'm unattractive. And then allowing that to kind of snowball into him becoming this loner to where he didn't want to interact with his neighbors. He didn't want to, you know, go out there and actively seek a mate. Instead, he kind of just relegated himself to, you know, solitude. And then you have this character, and, and Ember's kind of like a, a traditional hero, I would say, you know, when you look at things in, in terms of a story. He found a new reason to not need to be alone, and he also found something new that he could love, cherish, and protect. And I think that is kind of what helped him personify those, those ideal traditional male values, because a man wants something to protect. And if she, if um, Nicola had been more of a character that, you know, was someone who chose to express her trauma through, you know, making those spike clubs or setting pit traps, they would have clashed. She would have ended up, you know, either he would have either reported her or she would have just been, you know, given off to someone else and no telling what happens to her. So these two finding each other the way that they did, I think, worked out perfectly. Because I'm quite sure that even if she never wanted to have sex or children, you know, with him, she did not do any of the hormone therapy, I think he would have done everything in terms of being with her regardless. And I think that that part of it is kind of like my favorite thing about him as a character and how well that they meshed because those two were opposite ends of a coin and they didn't repel each other. And instead, you know, they were able to attract each other. Yeah, I think... I think it's very important um, in successful books where the characters, they play off each other in complementary ways, right? You, if, you have a, if you have a, you know, aggressively defensive female character, you're going to want, you know, you're going to want a male character who's okay with that. Right, like if you if you have a a super charming male character, you usually don't want like a super outgoing and friendly female character, right? Because it doesn't work, and then their interactions are only superficial, right? If you have a super charming male character, you want a female character who doesn't sort of succumb to that charm, who isn't challenging for him to get to know because otherwise his interaction with her is going to be just like his interaction with everybody else and that sort of defeats the purpose of the book right so every ember's got to have a character that is compatible with him and i think nicola is very compatible right i think I think, again, in this series, you've got other characters and, you know, you don't remember his name, but Tabitha's male character was very, very jovial, very charming, but also, like, ridiculously loyal. You know, he, he belongs to a species of aliens called Praxians. I mean, you know, his brother met somebody and married her, and so they had to leave their job and move to Brisbane, you know. And he didn't have to do that 
right? But he was very loyal, right? And his, you know, you see his loyalness to his brother first, right? And so that's an unsurprising character trait of his. And then he, he just sort of relentlessly shows up, right, for Tabitha. But he doesn't push, right? Because pushing would be bad in the case of, you know, her trauma, right? He just keeps showing up until she gets used to him, like a skittish horse, right? And, and it works because they're compatible, right? If she was different or he was different, the story wouldn't gel and it wouldn't work, right? And I think, I think that's the whole, the whole key to a successful relationship-based novel, right? And I say relationship, but it's not just romantic because familial and friendship relationships also play an important part in these books, especially when they're series because they're built off of each other, right? If, if the brother didn't move to Rizza, then he wouldn't have moved to Rizza, right? If, if Sophie wasn't rescued by the people in Nasa Cage's book, then she wouldn't have been in her own book, right? So everybody is interconnected. And you see, if it's well-written, you see the characters consistently written, no matter who they're interacting with. So, uh, out of curiosity, um, even outside of this series, are there any male protagonists that do not exemplify those uh, traditional masculine values? I mean, are there any that are, I, I guess, conniving or to think of, of something else uh like overly sensitive even you know someone who's like overly emotional and if that does occur is that the type of character that is seen as a, a heartthrob so to speak or is it more of the characters exemplify the things that you know men are supposed to be known for especially like that fierce loyalty and things along those along those lines um i, I would just be curious if that was a uh, if that was consistent or if, you, if you've ever come across that in, in a romance novel? Well, you know, different, different types of men appeal to different types of people. So you have, you know, you have men that run the spectrum, you know. Um, the one that pops to mind immediately is one of the more extreme cases. And, um, it's called His Secret Illumination. I don't remember the author's first name, but I believe her last name is Scarletti. And um, this guy, it's a, it's a regular fantasy setting, you know, knights and barbarians and you know, knife-wielding assassins, that sort of thing. And he is a cloistered monk living in a monastery, like illuminating basically books, right, for the monastery. And he never leaves the monastery. You know, he grew up there. He doesn't remember any other life. You know, and he's scared out of his mind when he meets the female protagonist. Because she's, she's like a half giant. And she's basically like a bounty hunter. And she essentially requisitions him from the abbot. You know, she takes on a job to recover some stolen books. And she needs a monk to help her find the book, you know. And he's just very um, timid, you know, throughout the entire book, you know. And she's just like, I, I don't, you know. And she's just sort of like smashing her way through the, you know, through the forest to, to make things happen, you know. But... That's just an extreme case. You you have all kinds. And you'll see cases where, like, there'll be a main character who's sort of traditional, 
and then there'll be a side character who's who's less traditional, and they'll be like, "What about this guy? We want to we want to know what happens to him. When's his book coming out? You know." And if the author has put any, you know, any um, what would you call them? Thought into the character, and almost always they have, because it wouldn't appeal so much to the audience if they hadn't put thought into creating the character. You know, there's there's a potential there. You know, you have one of my favorite authors like to vary her characters as much as possible. And I, she definitely doesn't, she's definitely not an author who, like, pushes limits to, like, controversial sort of length. But, you know, she'll have, she'll have a male character who's less aggressive than his female partner. Or she'll have, um, you know, a male character who's more of a nerd to his female partner's sort of side, you know. There's an entire series called, um, I think it's called The Nerd Who Loved Me. And it's mostly, it's mostly like accountants or lawyers hooked up with Sogo, which is, which is interesting there. Some of them are really funny, and some of them are less interesting. Um, it all depends, really, on the personality of the character. I'm trying to think. You know, it, it, it's definitely going to vary depending on the reader, what's in their, you know, what's in their bookcase. But there are definitely some, some quote-unquote heroes. That's why we call them male main characters rather than heroes who are not really very heroic. Like they're terrible people. You know, I, I didn't read this one book by an author I like called uh, Devil in Winter by Lisa Clexus because he, you know, threatens to rape the hero's girlfriend in the previous book. And I'm like, you sir don't deserve to be happy. You know, I, I don't care what you do. I mean, if you're not, you know. Um, but you know, and then and then you have some people who are into uh, like mafia romance, which again I don't read that because that's not my particular jam. But there's definitely people writing and reading that, you know, where the um, the male main character is not a good person. You know, he's doing crimes, and those crimes may or may not also be against the female main character, you know? Huh. So, um, so, oh, sorry. No, go ahead. I was going to say, what you've been describing sounds like anime to me in terms of the way relationships are kind of going and anime being, for the most part, more male-focused. They focus more on the on like the male point of view, so to speak, for the for the exact same scenarios that you were just mentioning right now. Um, one thing you had brought up was that other book where, with the monk and the half giant woman, um, when they become developing a relationship and become intimate, does she begin to soften for him? You know, versus you know the way she is to the outside world as a bounty hunter, and two. You know, him being a monk, I would say, still does embody those traditional male ma masculine values because he's somebody is, that is still devoted to something. He's still a very stoic character. But I am curious if uh, she is she soft, gets softer around him or softens to him because of the fact that he is... Because she would have to go from one extreme to the other, and he would have to go from one extreme to the other. Like, I imagine at some point he has to do, do something to save her. And, and I, I only say that because... That's kind of what happens in an anime when they have that kind of type of relationship with the character where the female is the one who is, you know, the, you know, doing the traditionally masculine things like the fighting and things along those lines and how she is protecting the man. And then how when they're together by a campfire, so to speak, that's when she'll begin to, you know, kind of open up and, and then assume those traditional feminine traits of, 
you know, she's blushing, she's, you know, you know, speaking kinder and softer to him, or she started out speaking to him in a way into where he was a, an object. And then she began to get softer with him and he began to gain some form of hardness to himself. And then those two kind of end up meeting in the middle. I, I'm just curious if that's uh, kind of how that book played out. Although I know it's taking us away from this one. So. No, that's a good discussion. That's, um, that's definitely not how it played out in his secret illuminations. Um, you know, what they like about each other is sort of each other's acceptance to their difference, right? So, you know, she she's very Hulk smashed and he he's very blushing and stammering and, you know, has been told what to do all his life and is kind of very comfortable in them. And he he doesn't want to change that, right? He, he doesn't want to go back to the Abbey, right, and be property of the Abbot anymore. But he basically wants her to, to tell him what to do now, right, because he trusts her. Right? They don't... Now, there are, I have definitely read books where, you know, like the gunslinger female main character suddenly becomes, you know, less confident as she's sort of falls in love and lets the male main character take care of him, you know. And they sort of meet in the middle where it's like, I don't have to be on my guard all the time anymore. But I, I definitely prefer the novels where, you know, his sort of strong, confident presence helps her to be more confident rather than allows her to flip, you know, and just progress into some sort of blushing virgin or whatever, you know. I, but again, this, this discussion is, is biased based on my reading preferences, right? You, if that's what you're looking for, you can definitely find that, right? You know, and when I, when I discuss romance, I generally both because it was your question and because of my personality. She's more interested in the male main personality because that's what I'm there for, right? Like, depending on how well-written the female main character is, you might just want to, like, plot yourself into her place. And so sometimes they're more vaguely written, right? So they don't conflict with the reader but sometimes they're well written and well crafted you know to complement the the other main character but but for me i'm there for him right so i i'll read male female romances and we'll be male male romances but i generally don't read female female romances not because I don't think they shouldn't exist. I'm more than happy to, you know, purchase them occasionally to support an author I like. But more because there's nothing there for me. That's not what I'm interested in. So there's no reason for me to read that. I see. I see. That's interesting. And I know for myself, because I'm a very, um, I'm a very, like, I'm a very logical thinker, but I'm very duplicitous as well. Like the majority of the time, like I do create a false dichotomy, whatever it really is. And I kind of slot characters, regardless of gender, into, you know, one of two sides. And the book with the monk, it seems like I would just then slot the female character into those masculine traits and the male character into those feminine traits. And then, you know, in which case I can then allow myself to just read and enjoy the book for what it is. That's why when I came into reading this book, um, I was, I was sure to, to kind of drop any kind of preconceived notions I have of romance novels or anything like that. Um, I wanted to make sure that I dropped any, you know, kind of biases and, and then just kind of read it, uh, for what it was. And when I did it that way, which was that second, you know, that second read or that second half read, um, it really did allow me to kind of get into the characters and experience them the way that they were. I do find it interesting. Like I was expecting to, 
they get to a point in the in the novel or the book rather to where it was like okay now i'm extremely turned on this is great this is this is getting me there and then what i found was that that never kind of came for me there was never a uh like a, a watershed moment of now it becomes a little bit more intense and a little bit more intentional i felt like that the author did kind of beat around the bush in that regard versus kind of expressing a little bit more in terms of you know her you know sexual attraction or urges towards him and then also um his sexual attraction and urges towards her it was more of just like the male was reduced to a hard dick versus the other things that kind of incorporate and come from someone that you're genuinely attracted to especially if you haven't you know had sex and you know forever how long he was because i was a little confused in terms of how time went and moved in that universe because i did understand that human years were different than their years so that led me to believe in, and understand it's like well does that mean that the time that he has not had sex is that in reference to like human time or is that a reference to their time or is it their time our time human time and then we have to kind of multiply it like dog years to get to theirs so that's why i was a little confused there but outside of that i would have liked a little bit more tension sexual tension building versus uh i've decided to keep you and you can stay here i would have liked to have seen more like wow i am just enthralled by this being and i need to be inside this being like that was what i was missing from it there's definitely books that are more like that both written by this author and written by other authors. But, you know, only only having 67 pages, I already thought there were too many pages of that. But that's because of my mood, right? Like, I, I could have been happy with, like, a, this being a closed-door book where, you know, they fly home to the farm and they go into the bedroom and they make whoopee and you don't need the specific details. Um, but romances run the gambit from sort of that fade to black scene to something that's like, you know, three quarters of the book is them doing it. And, you know, like they do it within the first 10 pages directly after meeting each other. And now they got to figure out how to relate to each other. Right. Or not. Sometimes they don't even do that. But generally speaking, if there isn't, like, a real plot, then that's considered erotica and spells completely differently. Oh, see, I think, oh, sorry. I think also how turned on you are by a book is definitely influenced by what you particularly like. Because, you know, like, in books where... There are some books where it's just like, I'm very uncomfortable. I'll skip those pages. And other books where I'm like, oh, this, this is this is yummy. I will come back and reread this a couple of times. Let me put a bookmark here. I see. So a little more of what I was um, alluding to was less of the actual sex and more in terms of the building of it because it's uh I, I find this actually in a lot of like hollywood movies today where they kind of just shove a sex scene in there and that's kind of what i felt that the author did at the end of this book in order to like i personally prefer the the kind of fade to black moment of it you know as well you know, I, I don't really like the the explicitness of a sex scene or of a of a written out sex scene so to speak i think it kind of came out of nowhere. Like I understood that he hadn't had sex in a while and he was horny, but there was not really much of a, like a buildup to him wanting to, to have like for her to want to have sex with him. So it did kind of just feel a little forced. Like that sex scene kind of felt like a fan service, so to speak, versus something that actually just came about naturally, you know? And, And I think that, that's what that's what I meant by it would have been nice to see more of a, a build up to that if that's where the climax of the book is going to be, you know. Yeah, I think it's funny because a lot of books like this, like the climax is them getting married and then the epilogue is them having children. Right. Like that sort of. Stereotypical, I mean, it's not always and 
you know, it's getting more and more diverse every day, but that happens a lot. But they were already married, right? Like this is a mail order book bride situation, right? So like you can't be working towards them being married. But again, it's only like 67 pages. So I'm trying to think of something where they're like coitus interruptus for like three quarters of the book. And most of those books are generally historical, right? Because it gives a good reason for why, like, oh, no, we can't, we can't, we can't, right? And there's all kinds of potential consequences and angst over, like, not doing it, right? Um, but back to what you said before about duplicitous characters. I think I've, I was misunderstanding where you were going. But there are definitely characters that are schemas, right? Where it's like, I want to marry this person, but I'm not just going to, like, support them or tell them I want to marry them. Instead, I'm going to, you know, threaten to buy their business and fire them if they don't, you know, marry me or whatever. Right? You know, there's definitely like one character who he wants to become prime minister and in order to become prime minister he's basically like trying to convince his sister to his sister's like oh no he's trying to convince his sister to help him seduce this girl who is like the illegitimate daughter of the king so that the king will sort of throw his support behind his candidacy to become prime minister, you know? And like, he doesn't just talk to his sister. He like blackmails his sister and he doesn't just talk to the girl that he's like secretly courting. Right. He, so everything is like a scheme within a scheme within a scheme. Right. But he's, He's generally not a likable guy, right? At least not for me. I mean, he eventually earns his happily ever after, and he doesn't get to be prime minister. But, you know, he's, you know, he's a sneaker doodle. Yeah, and a character like that, like, for me, I could not find that being a, I guess, a, an attractive character. And I, and I, I totally get that because I understand that he more than likely found out that the prime ministership was not worth, you know, losing her or losing his, you know, view and grasp on life and understanding where he came from. I, I think that type of character for me, like that is a villain, like just, just the way that my mindset kind of breaks that down. And especially even when a book then goes to justify why and how they are the way they are and why they did what they did that to me just always screams villain to me and and i think one thing that i do see in common with this and anime uh, specifically is they do always try to humanize the villain towards the end to understand why they became that way before you know doing away with them um, i do notice that the tropes of friendship and loyalty and things along those lines are very very prominent in the story and that love is kind of reduced in a way versus uh there are very few that do it right with when they mix the action and the actual love and longing uh between the two characters and i i think that kind of love and longing can exist without the necessary sexual um interaction and tension it's just when it kind of gets shoehorned in like one thing that anime does is they'll have a lot of you know female characters with big floppy breasts and then it sounds like in in at least in terms of a story like we 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 did just read here uh it seems more along the lines of a story to where they kind of just threw it in there and maybe if i understood more of the universe and and kind of why that that was necessary and important but because the author had so few pages i would have appreciated those pages that instead of devoting it towards their sex and talking about his throbbing cock that they kind of focus more on building a little bit more of 
why they you know became ingratiated towards each other each other i think an extra two or three pages about what they found attractive about the other would have gone a lot further than you know the sex scene so to speak it's like we're talking and we're bonding and we're spending time together and see them go to the potluck you know him sort of become more extroverted because of her presence you know like as the sort of person who doesn't particularly enjoy going out I know if you partner me with like a shyer person I will sort of step up to fill the void and I would have liked to see him sort of do that you know that would have been cute um you got to take what they give you and decide what you're willing to, um, you know, put up with, you know. And I definitely, I definitely will admit there there are times when I skim those parts if I'm not in the mood. Um, I'm trying to think of one that has, like, a really good I really like Paradise by Judith McNair. It's old and it's long, but it's quite prob quite possibly the most emotionally moving thing that I ever enjoyed. But this is the kind of book that's like so so angsty that just thinking about rereading it makes you go, Oh, that's too much. Right? <laughs> I don't I don't have the free emotional space to go through that again right now. You know? Yeah, it sounds this, like a really intense book. book. It, it is. It is a really intense book. You know, it's, it's you know, love and, and loss and more loss and duplicitous family, you know, and, and stuff like that. But speaking of that word came up again, I personally don't care for a duplicitous character, right? Like, I I'm, I am much quicker to forgive a main character for, like, unnecessary acts of violence or, more likely, necessary acts of violence, right? Like, um, you know, like, sometimes, you know, there's a character and they'll kill somebody because that somebody is bad, but you don't know that they're bad, right? Or you don't find out that they're bad until later. Or you're like, well, you didn't have to kill them. You could have got them arrested, right? But I find that a little bit easier to forgive than, like, lying or manipulating. I much prefer a sort of straightforward character, you know, on both sides, right? And the truth is, if you don't like them, then the whole point of reading the book is moot, right? If you don't like the characters, right, if they're not people that you want to be happy, then you're not, the whole point of reading the book is pointless, right? That, one of my favorite authors, Suzanne Brockman, has said, you know, they have to, they have to earn their happy ending, right? So some of, some of her characters, like, it'll take them seven books to to earn their happy ending, you know? And her characters aren't, like, they're not the kind where they start out as bad people. But, you know, they're concealing their feelings. They're sort of, you know, being untruthful, either with themselves or with the other character as a means of, like, protecting themselves. They're just not grown up enough for, like, a real relationship. I see. When it comes to, to especially like this, this is interesting to me because it's just the, the meeting of two minds, and they're so different, especially in regard to me being, you know, in a new pond, so to speak, reading, you know, romance novels. This is a completely different, you know, ocean, I would even say for me. So it's actually, it's just fun. Like even the conversation about it and the book and the bouncing back and forth, that in itself, that's the reward for me. Like I enjoy that genre I've stayed away from and specifically because I didn't understand it 
and you know i had my preconceived notions about it but now after kind of reading it and getting into it i can definitely see the appeal that it would have uh to the fair sex and i also see the appeal that it can have to the male reader like this as i was like reading it and as we were talking i was like man this is basically watching a cartoon or an anime or or an action movie just watching it from the perspective of the female you know character and that in itself i found interesting like i i found that very thought provoking this was a lot like reading um you know a story for school that you had to provide a report on and it's been years i mean 10 16 years since i've been in a classroom and that was the only homework i ever did because it allowed it for open discussion so i i really enjoyed this and that's your happy ending until next time this has been romance read along don't forget to get at us at romancereadalong at gmail.com and to follow us on Patreon.